You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. I'm delighted to be joined by the returning Mr. Mike Stavry. Welcome back to the show, mate. How you been, first of all? Hello, mate. Yeah, I've missed I've missed this, mate. I've missed you. Um, oh, it's been... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start on a soppy note. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been all right, mate. Um, outside of Arsenal... My uh, my my life is pretty decent, so I can't complain. Arsenal wise, am I uh, the happiest I've ever been? No, not anywhere near it, mate. I suspected that might be the case. Uh, let's say a few hellos to some of you joining us live in the chat box. Big hello to John, to Josh, to Bungle, to Inter, to Junior Gunner. Hope you guys are all well. Um, before we get right into this video and this episode of the podcast, I just want to make a small request. If you could hit the like button, it'd be very much appreciated because for some reason, I think we're being attacked by bots at the moment on this YouTube channel. And I've spoken to a couple of other creators and they're having the same issue. The minute I schedule a video to go live, we just get an influx of dislikes, um, you know, coming onto the video. Now, I know I piss some people off, but not that much, hopefully. And there shouldn't be that many of you that are disliking the video before it starts. So I have been told there is an issue on YouTube with that, with bot accounts doing that. So let's try and at least surpass the dislikes uh, in the early stages of this video. That would be great. We've got plenty to discuss as always. We're going to be talking about a number of individuals following on from our Crystal Palace review. Uh, we'll be getting Mike's thoughts on that Crystal Palace game. Uh, we'll be looking ahead a little bit to the Aston Villa fixture, which comes up on Friday night, just around the corner now, uh, of course, because of the close proximity between the two games. But Mike, let's kick off by getting your kind of overriding feelings and thoughts off the back of that draw against Crystal Palace. I've seen a lot of people make a big issue about Arsenal fans celebrating the late equaliser. I think it is possible to be pleased that we equalised and to have celebrated that goal, but also understand that still wasn't the result that that we necessarily wanted, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think people made a comparison already that when Liverpool came back uh, to draw West Brom, um, they also celebrated because you would. Klopp went onto the pitch. You know, it was as if they'd won the Champions League, as, as some people were, were saying to us. And it's just what you do because it's a high emotion, high intensity thing. And when you equaliser that in the last minute, you will be happy. And yeah, you have to consider the, uh, the the opposition and you have to consider where we are at the moment. And it was a huge relief because I think if we had lost that game, it would have spiralled out of control. Then the narratives were writing themselves before the game, Harry, you know, Patrick Vieira coming back to the Emirates, schools, Mikel Arteta, you could just see it written before it even happened. So the fact that that didn't happen, happen, was a relief in itself. Um, but overall, Arsenal, I mean, as I mentioned when I, in my first comment, I think it's just quite a depressing time to be an Arsenal fan because at the end of the day, we're not challenging for the top four. We're nowhere near it and we're not playing attractive football. So for me, it's got to be one thing or the other. I think if you're going to want to like battle your way 
and be play a defensive style of football and not score many goals and win the odd game one nil, you have to be in that top four area. But for us, we're nowhere near that. So to be like a mid-table team, which is what we are, playing drab football, you know, just like barely beating Burnley and, and Norwich and then getting a good result in the North London derby, granted, but then going back to the dross against Brighton and, and Crystal Palace, it's not it's not good, mate, no. Yeah, and, and I get that, you know, it, it does feel a little bit depressing at the moment and it does feel very much like under Mikel Arteta, every time we kind of threaten to make that bit of progress and move to that next level or next stage, we hit a brick wall again. And for me, you know, the Crystal Palace fixture was always going to be tight. It was going to be difficult. I think I predicted a 1-0 Arsenal win, which obviously wasn't accurate in the end, but goes to show that in the lead up to the game, I didn't feel like it was going to be a walk in the park. I think we all recognise this Arsenal side of struggle to, to deal with low blocks, break people down. I thought Crystal Palace had the balance perfect between being that little bit more uh, aggressive in terms of the way they attacked us and pressed us at certain points higher up the pitch, but also keeping their defensive structure and shape. That obviously is largely well, the way they came out was probably because we broke the deadlock early and they had to and they had no choice. So in many ways that kind of, you know, contributed to their style of play. But the thing that has irritated me a little bit in the aftermath of this game, and, and I totally get that it's unacceptable and that we should be winning that fixture is these comparisons now between Mikel Arteta and Patrick Vieira. Now, we all know that Mikel Arteta's got his shortcomings. We all know he's not the finished article. But let's be completely honest. Neither is Patrick Vieira, right? This is a man who went over to the States, did a relatively decent job with New York City FC, came back to France, worked with Nice, did okay, but was ultimately sacked, you know, not a, not a very long time into his tenure. And for me, he was someone that, when people were talking about him taking the Arsenal job, I was sitting there going, no, you know, he's not ready. He's not at that level. Don't do it. So I can't now just eight games into the season where, you know, that was, well, they've only won one game in the Premier League, sit there and say, yeah, Patrick Vieira is the finished article. He should be the Arsenal manager now. Are people kind of overplaying Vieira's level as a bit of a way of kind of downplaying Mikel Arteta's level at the same time? Yeah, I think so. And, I think personally, there are some comparisons you can draw because of the sort of state of the clubs at the moment in terms of like both are going through rebuilds. I think Palace had a had a lot of uh, changes of uh, players in the summer. They brought in Vieira, brought in a lot younger profile of player, which is what we tried to do. So I think that's where the sort of comparisons is coming from. Obviously, the Arsenal ties are there as well between Vieira and Arsenal and Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. I think it's quite an easy one. To, to sort of compare, but I think you're right. It's not a fair one. Um, they are different clubs. They have different expectations. Um, while, you know, Crystal Palace can sort of afford to be a bit more expansive and try different things and try a new manager with a new philosophy, they never really have ambitions of finishing, you know, above, I don't know, 12th place. So for them, that's fine. And that's a risk they can take. Even though I was saying, you know, we are a mid-table club. Obviously, our aspirations are higher. We've got a much, it's, it's a huge club. It's They've got huge commercial deals. They've got a huge wage bill, loads of star players on paper. And it is their ambition to finish higher. That's not happening at the moment. 
And I think, again, like you say, it's another stick to beat Arteta with. Look, Pachavira's come here. He's done a bit of a job on us. He's It's not really worked out. They probably should have won. They didn't. And it's an easy one to go, oh, look what he's doing over there. But you're right. They've won win. I think they, they look okay going forward, but they can be shaky at the back. And the biggest concern for me, Harry, is just, and why I sort of see the slight reason in these comparisons, is that they have a defined style, I think. I think Vieira has implemented that in a very short period of time. If it is successful or not, remains to be seen. We don't know eight games in, but I think the thing people are still struggling with under Arteta is that we saw what he was trying to do in that North London derby. We've seen it in big games before at Old Trafford last season, for example. It's a very sort of intense pressing um, system when we are allowed to do so. But the problem is, is that we can't implement that style in every game and we can't do it against every opposition. Spurs left the midfield open for us. And that's the reason we were able to play that way. But it's not going to be like that every game, as you said, struggled against low blocks. I think for me, I just don't really know what the direction is because we've got this this young team, but it needs the senior players around them to step up and be the focal point, and it's not there at the moment. Just one of the points that that you made there, you said Patrick Vieira did a bit of a job on us. Did he? Do, do, you, do, you, do you really think that? And I'm asking the question because when I watched the game back again and, and put together the, the kind of tactical analysis thing you know there were a few things that I picked up on and there were a few things that we discussed and but normally there are more normally there are more things that I pick out and say the opposition manager got this right after a, a bad result then you know then then this time around if Partey doesn't give the ball away doesn't make an individual mistake if Laconga doesn't make an individual mistake Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace get nothing out of the game so did they do a job on us or did we hand them the opportunity to to get a result at the Emirates Stadium? Because I feel like that, yeah. that that's the thing with me. It's not, you know, people will come away from it and say Arteta got it horribly wrong. And I think in some ways he did. I think the midfield idea of Odegaard playing in that role is wrong. I've said that time and time again. But when you look at how the game actually unfolded and you take the emotion out of it and you watch it back again... Mm -hmm. We literally gifted them two goals. I think you have to look at it from both sides. Yeah, it was poor. But like, I think they got the idea to do that and press us high because they saw that we were taking too many touches on the ball. They saw that we weren't moving it quickly. And they saw that there was, there was a bit of weakness there. I think party all game was giving the ball away. And they obviously thought, or maybe it was it was said from the manager, you know, press them a bit higher, try and nick the ball off them, hit them on the counter attack. And I think that's what that's what did it. And it was it's quite an obvious thing to really point out, you know, press the ball. But we we struggle with that. We can't move the ball quickly enough from midfield. And Lokonga obviously was a bit cold. He's not played in a while. And that obviously looked like a tactic as well to press him and, and get the ball of him. So as much as it was individual mistakes, they forced us into them. And I think the way they were able to nullify us so easily was just like, and I know you say it was it was fine margins, but after we scored the first goal, I, I, it never, apart from Tierney hitting the crossbar, it never looked like we would we threatened them that much. And they looked more threatening on the counter-attack. So I think it was just all wrong. I think the balance of midfield was wrong. It was okay to do that three-man midfield in the second half against, um, against I think it was Burnley, was it? Uh, and, and against Norwich. But it was too lightweight for this game. 
So yeah, the, the setup was wrong. And I think Vieira drummed it into his players that we can be gotten at and we can be bullied. And it's, it's the same sort of things that we talk about a lot with Arsenal. And I, it's just a recurring theme for us that we started the game well. We we have our plan. We we have our sort of style that we want to play. And as soon as the opposition put a bit of pressure on us, it the, the men, I think it's got to be a mentality thing because it just goes out the window. We we don't win the 50-50s. We don't win the duels. And if you're not doing that, the bare basics of football, you're, you're not going to win football matches. Yeah, look, I get what you're saying. I, we They did put us under pressure and they, they were the better side for large periods of that game. And I'm not trying to take that away from them. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, are we, you know, the tactics were wrong and there is issues there, but are we putting too much emphasis on that when, if those individual errors don't occur, we probably win the game 1-0 is, is the, the point I'm trying to make. But you're right. And there's a few comments in here that, that kind of back up what you're saying as well, Mike. Uh, Bonster says, Harry, the goal was coming, to be fair, could see that after the first 30 minutes. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Crystal Palace got a stronghold on the game and they and they really did play well. Um, Josh Hunter says no game management. Don Saki says uh, basically in line with what you said, Mike, that Palace forced us into those mistakes. Um, just going back to the Vieira point just briefly before we move on, because there's a really good comment here from John who says, please read. Don't worry, John, I am. He says Arteta early doors beat Manchester City and Chelsea to win the FA Cup. Early doors under Paddy, Palace draw versus Arsenal. It's too early for anyone to say Paddy is a better manager. And and I think that encapsulates my thoughts on Patrick Vieira um, as the Crystal Palace boss perfectly. What do you make of that comment, Mike? Yeah, I think it is way too early, but there are distinctions you can make. I think mine is more not a comment on Vieira because I didn't really watch his knee side. I know he did okay at New York City, but I'm not going to count that. It's not a major league. So I'm just basing it on my assessment of Mikel Arteta and the fact that he's going up against another relatively rookie manager. And the rookie manager has, I think, outmaneuvered him. And it's happened on a few occasions. I think Arteta has overcomplicated his tactics. Um, I think they're they're too rigid. Like the fact that that Saka he persists with Saka out on the left when he had such a good game in the North London derby on the right, he's so effective there. Nicolas Pepe, I think he lost possession so many times. And it's just like certain things you think like why is this still happening I, I saw you put out a poll on Twitter asking about Lacazette and it's like he improved us so much I know it was a, it was a super sub and it was an impact sub and, and they weren't prepared for him but I just think he adds so much more in the center of the park than than what we've been producing um recently with Aubameyang up top and not that Aubameyang has not been doing the business because he has scored in the last few games but I just feel like there's certain things that it's like you're banging your head against the wall. Like, we can see this. Why is this not happening? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's a nice little segue onto the the Lacazette discussion because, as you say, we did put a poll out a little bit earlier on to try and gauge uh, the thoughts of our listeners uh, with regards to whether or not they'd start Alexander Lacazette against, um, against Aston Villa at the weekend. And... Um, I'll say at the weekend on Friday, and an overwhelming 83.9% of you say that you would start him. 16.1% uh, say no. Um, before we go on to talk about who he potentially replaces, are you in agreement, Mike, that Alexander Lacazette has earned the right to be named in the starting 11 come Friday? I think he deserves a start. I don't think he started a game this season, and he... 
you know, has his faults, but I think the way that him and Aubameyang were, were linking up, I feel like that that's what Lacazette does. He brings others into play. I'm not going to say that he's going to start with Aubameyang. I don't really think that will happen, but he just adds that that layer of, uh, of connection uh, from the midfield to the attack that we lack so much. And for me, I think the reason this poll is so heavy is because it's like fans are just desperate to see something different in the hope that it might change. If we're completely honest, Lacazette coming into the starting eleven is not going to win us the game on Friday. Could it have a slightly different impact? Could it open up some more spaces for other players? Yes, certainly. But I think we're at a point now where it's like, it's so stale. We just need to do something different. We need to change it. We've tried this um, three midfield. That didn't work against, you know, better opposition. And Aston Villa fall into that category with Palace of better opposition than Norwich and Burnley. I mean, it's not hard to be better than them, but... I feel like it's not really going to work. It will be a bit too lightweight, that midfield three. So I'm guessing we'll go back to the 4 2 3 1. And then it's judging those positions. But yeah, I do think he should start. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that he probably should start. But my issue here, and, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, is I don't think Obamiang's been bad. I actually think Obamiang's probably worked harder in the, ho- the last couple of home games than he has in the last year combined he's he, he was really putting himself yeah. about against crystal palace he was chasing everything down he was pressing he was harrying he was willing to put his body on the line and although it didn't you know he got the goal other than that it didn't really work out for him on the night i still think that he deserved a lot of praise and was one of the few players that could come away from that game with his head held high yeah absolutely i mean I thought sort of like the North London derby was maybe going to be his like one or two games of the season where he just puts in a phenomenal performance. But to see him do that again, I think against Brighton, he was quiet, but I'm not going to blame him because the whole team was pretty shoddy. But yeah, in this game, he was pressing, he was putting it in. I mean, if we could have got that from three or more, three or four more players, Harry, like the, the result would have been different. Like if, if we can, because we're not creating much, the way that the easiest way that, that you can create or get chances on a football pitch is by pressing high and and winning turnovers. And you do that by by attacking the ball and players, you know, if it if, if it's a, a Gagan press, if it's, you know, uh, sort of what, what Man City do, which is flood the, the ball after, you know, constantly, whatever it is, you have to try and win the turnovers. You have to try and win the ball back quickly. And because we're not creating when we're in possession, we need to do that out of possession. And the fact that Aubameyang who a lot of people think is lazy, was doing that the most, is great for him. And I'm really, really happy. But the other players have to step up as well, surely. Yeah, agreed. So if going back to the, the Lacazette mm. discussion, if, if if we're bringing Lacazette into the side, who for you comes out of it? It's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard because you have to think if he's going to be coming in, he either plays in the number 10 where he has before. Is that my favorite position for him? Probably not. Um, Or you have to say we change the system, which probably isn't going to happen. So I I don't think Aubameyang should be dropped either. So I think if you're trying to shoehorn Lacazette in, I think it has to be number 10. Do I see that happening? I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to get him in that team. I disagree with the number 10 thing. I, I I just don't like Lacquer in that role. And I think what Lacquer does well is occupy centre-halves and drop into that slightly deeper space and essentially 
you know, bring them with him and then create that room for others. So for me, I think the best thing would be here, based on the fact that he is working very hard and he's playing very well at the moment, I think. Maybe playing very well is too strong because not everything's working out for him, but he is working very hard. I'd put Aubameyang out on the left on Friday. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, Villa like to play with three centre-halves. And I think having Aubameyang come in from that left-hand side in field can really cause them a problem, right? Because when you play with three centre-halves, one of the things you you hope for is that you'll be able to dominate numerically in that particular area of the pitch. And if you've got Alexander Lacazette occupying a centre-half and then you've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang coming in from the left, who they will view as our biggest goal threat, I think you can potentially cause Aston Villa some concerns there. The worry is how you deal with that going the other way. Will Aubameyang track a wing-back if that's indeed how Villa decide to play? I'm not sure. And that's where I might be a little bit worried. But I think Aubameyang, as I said, he's been leading by example. He's been working incredibly hard, had a bit of a stinker at Brighton, but was very good against Spurs and was very good, I thought, uh, on Monday. I don't think you can leave him out. That and the Mm. fact he's the captain, I think, means that Arteta won't leave him out. So I think we're probably, if Laka's going to come in, going to see him revert back to that, uh, you know, that system whereby Oba operates from the left and Laka through the middle. Let's see what some of you guys are saying on Twitter, because a lot of you have been uh, replying to this. Um, Sam Tonk says, yes, I think he's hold up play. Um, talking about Lacazette, let me just uh, bring it back up on the screen. I think his hold up play against probably a back three will be a great asset. I'd hope Saka is OK after being assaulted. Saka's not really played all that well lately, has he, Mike? And I don't really like him from the left-hand side. What's your take on that? Uh, I don't like him on the left-hand side. I feel like he's so much more effective when he's running at players and basically doing what Nicolas Pepe should be doing on the right, which is taking people on um, and and dominating, which he has the capability to do. I think Saka is struggling from having played too many games. I, I think it may be a little bit of burnout for him. He's been so good and he was we were so reliant on him last year. And then from that, he didn't get a break. He went straight to playing for at the England, the Euros. I don't didn't really think he'd play as much as he did. And then obviously he had that incident in the final where he um he missed the penalty, which must have been a huge psychological blow. And then he's not really started the season as, as we would have hoped. So I think he's suffering from a little bit of a little bit of a hangover, to be honest, from uh, from all that all that playing. Um, so I, I probably would play him over Pepe if, if if we're talking about going to the 4-2-3-1 with a Bami on the left, Lacazette. And then I guess you're left with the sort of number 10 position. Do you drop Smith Rowe or do you play Odegaard? Who, for me, that's another one. Odegaard's been awful the last few games. I don't really know what's happened to him. Um, but he's we'll, not we'll talk about We'll talk about him but, in a moment because he's one of a number of players that yeah. I wanted to get get your thoughts on. Let me just quickly uh, take a couple more of these comments from Twitter. Um, a lot of people saying that the the idea of bringing Lacazette on or into the side is dependent on whether Bukayo Saka is available. Uh, Jordan yeah. says that he'd take Odegaard out of the team or at least mm. play him in his correct position. Um, Aaron says, why not play two up front with him and Oba? Uh, it's a sin for managers to try and play two up top now. I just don't get it. With two very good strikers who play well together, play them. It's simple. Change the system. Not like it's working well anyways. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I just, 
I've never seen Mikel Arteta play with a two up front, so I don't think he's going to start that now. Uh, Legacy fan wants to see Pepe taken out of the side. Um, Zach also shares that view. He would like to see Ober on the left and Saka on the right. Um, Mike, you touched on, on, on Martin Odegaard there. He is a player who's simply not been at the races in his last couple of Arsenal performances. There's no getting away from that. I still think he's a good player. I still think it was a good signing. I still think over the course of the season, we'll get more good than bad from him. But do we have to sometimes remember with Martin Odegaard that he is just 22 years old? He is, he does fall into that category of someone who's still at the age where inconsistency is going to be an issue, you know, and and we maybe need to be a little bit more sympathetic to that. Or Mm. are you sitting there going, well, this guy's come from Real Madrid. He should be able to handle it. We're simply not seen enough. At the moment, I think it's purely confidence thing, Harry, because for me, when Odegaard's at his best is when he's demanding the ball, collecting it from deep, popping it around and basically getting us ticking. And the fact that in in, in recent games, he's been invisible. He's literally been invisible. I've, I've not seen him call for the ball. I've hardly seen him get on it. It's not that he's been getting the ball loads and 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 giving it away every single time. He's He's given it away quite a lot, but I feel like he's not even getting it because he's not demanding it as he as he should be. So I think that's completely a confidence thing. And for me, you've got to take him out of the firing line because you don't want to be carrying anyone. And in the last few games, we've been carrying him and we need someone to do that role. Um, and I think it would be unfair to drop Smith Rowe after what he's given, what he's done for us, the form that he's in. He, I, I think he was he was one of our better players the other night. I think he struggled a bit positionally because it looked like he was playing... I don't know where he was playing, really. I'm not sure what the instruction was, but he was way too wide where he couldn't really affect the game. So I think it's a bit unfair to take him out when he's not necessarily been poor. Scored for the England 21s as well, uh, Karushi. So I think he's adding that that element to his game, that maturity. So, yeah, I think take Odegaard out of the firing line for, for this game and let uh, Smith Rowe see what he can do. So I think probably what he'll end up looking at, I agree with you, actually. I just didn't really consider Bamiya on the left because... It's not worked in the past, but for this game, I think it could work. So I'll probably go Bamiyang, left, Saka, right, Smith, Rowe, uh, centre, attacking midfield, and Bamiyang up top. And then, sorry, Lacazette up top. And then um, probably part in the Conga in the middle, which concerns me a little bit because the Conga was poor. I think people got quite overwhelmed and uh, overexcited by his start, his first few games. But I think, you know, when you sign for a new club, you want to impress, you sort of do everything and that adrenaline can maybe take over. But yeah, he's uh, another player that turned in another stinker the other night, didn't he? Yeah. And and this goes back to, to the point that I've been making kind of quite a bit over the last few weeks is that when you as a football club take the view that this is the way to move forward, i.e. bring in a bunch of younger players look to nurture that talent, look to bring them all through together, look to develop them as a team, as a unit. You have to accept that you are not going to be hitting the heights that, you know, in a club like Arsenal's case, you should be because of that inconsistency factor. And look, I'm not saying it's the right approach. I'm not saying it is at all. I think that there needed to be more of a blend of good experienced players and then those young talents. We shouldn't be relying on those young talents. And I think while we've done well in the transfer market to bring in players of a certain profile, like Laconga, like Odegaard, like Ramsdale, like White, there needed to be more investment in bringing in 
ready-made players. We talk about Lakonga now. You know, we're, we're saying that he's been a bit underwhelming lately, and he has. There's no doubt about that. But Sambi Lakonga shouldn't be in a position now where we've lost one midfielder in Granite Xhaka's injury, and now he's being looked at someone that we kind of need to rely on if we're going to stick to the 4-2-3-1, which has been our best system, in my opinion. We should have gone and addressed that midfield area. And if it meant losing both Mohamed Elneny and Ainsley Maitland-Niles in the summer, then you do it and you bring someone in who is of that level that they are ready to walk into the team and have an impact and will be competing for the positions with Partey and Xhaka. We left ourselves open to this. We left ourselves in a place where one injury to either Partey or Xhaka was going to leave us in this position of relying on either a lack of experience in Lakonga or a lack of quality in Elneny. And, and now we're in this difficult position. And mm. it's really, really frustrating because I watched Lakonga against Brighton and he kept, for me, he pulled out too far wide too often. And I think that was a little bit of naivety on his part, being sucked out because Brighton had those wing backs. And naturally, the width that they play with makes you feel as a centre midfielder, I can't not go out there. I can't not support my fullback. But that, in in kind of effect, created too big a hole between him and Partey and caused Partey problems. And now we're, we're talking about him the other night, having lost the ball in a place where he should never have lost it because he was a little bit naive, a little bit unsure as to what to do. And, and he got caught out. You don't get that in the Premier League. You don't get that time and that space to, to dilly-dally on the ball in certain areas. And, and he's going to learn that pretty quickly. And he's a young man and he will develop and he will get better. And I've got no concerns about that. But right now, that is one of the key reasons as to why Arsenal, for me, are going to really struggle without Granit Xhaka. And people will sit there and they'll talk about how bad he is and what a massive problem he is. And that he's been the reason we've not qualified for the Champions League for God knows how many years. You know, the, the usual shit we hear. He is so important to this side. And the biggest challenge Arteta faces now is plugging that hole over the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have summed it up better than you. I think, you know, Project Youth is is going to be inconsistent. It, it's going to have its faults. And ultimately, what it relies on when you can't get a solid performance every week, week in, week out from young, younger players because they just simply can't produce that. They, they're they not experienced enough to produce that. You need your senior players to step up. And I have to say, um, I've liked what I've seen from Aubameyang the last few weeks. I've got to be honest, I'd sort of written him off as an, as an Arsenal player. I'd thought, you know, he's sort of deteriorated into this sort of, you know, half striker, half winger, sort of, Lacks a day's cool player, doesn't really look like he wants to be there. But the last few weeks, he's really put it in. Um, and Xhaka, who is meant to be the sort of rocking midfield, that's another huge one. Um, and although Thomas Party has impressed me in flashes, I've not seen enough from him, I have to be honest, for a sort of 45 million investment, a player that played under Diego Simeone, um, you know, has, has won trophies. I thought I was going to see a lot more. I don't think he's helped Harry by some of the tactical instructions. As you said, he got left out in the open um, when he was paired with Lukonga in the 4-3-3. I think he's way too, way too overwhelmed and has got no like sort of protection next to him. And it relies so much on, on Ben White and Gabriel to sort of cover for him if anyone does get past him, which they inevitably do because it's one sitting midfielder. Um so I feel like things need to change in order to to cope without this. 
Um, but absolutely, we should have brought in more experienced players. I think the issue was, is that the younger players we bought were of high profile um, and therefore they were expensive. Ben White is a high profile young player. He's going to have a huge premium. And so I think we sort of made the choice. We're going to go down this route, invest our money in those younger players rather than bring in experienced players that can that can do a job but maybe not do a job for a long time. So, so do, you, do you think then, Mike, that there's an acceptance at the club, within the football club, that this season is going to be like that? And that's why Mikel Arteta has not faced the bullet yet. Yeah, basically, yeah. I just expected it to be a lot better, Harry, but at this point. I, I thought, yeah, we do have young, inexperienced players, but I thought for, for a time um, last season when we had that mini turnaround and we were playing Martinelli every game and Smith Rowe and Saka and we would they were sort of bonding and playing well and it was exciting free flowing football for for a few weeks maybe it wasn't very long but i thought maybe that was what we were going to go for and i thought we'd go for a bit more of attacking approach because as i said like if you're a mid table club and you are not really challenging for the top 4 and you don't really look like you're going to really finish in the top 6 like you have to entertain the fans a bit like there's there's got to be some sort of thing like it's it's not like if we play slightly more attacking football we're going to be in the relegation places i think that it, it, you can put in a solid enough system and a solid enough plan to be more expansive but also cover yourself and i just feel like it's it's, it's neither here nor there at the moment we're not that sort of solid team that can grind out wins every game we we did it against norwich and burnley and we're not that team that's playing, you know, impressive football that's going to get the fans excited. So I just don't really know what direction they want to go in at the moment. It's not clear at all. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you need to you need to feed the fans something to keep them engaged. And if you think back to when Jurgen Klopp took over Liverpool, and I always make that comparison because Liverpool are not Man City, Chelsea or Manchester United in terms of what they can spend. Yes, they've spent money over the years. A lot of that was accumulated and generated off the back of really good business in terms of selling players. So that's why I use that comparison. It did take Liverpool time to get to where they, you know, to where they are today. If Liverpool, you know, how long has he been there? Seven years. If Liverpool don't win the Premier League this season, which at the moment I don't think they will, then he'd have only won the Premier League once in seven seasons yet you can look at him and say that the job he's done at Liverpool has almost been flawless so the point here is that it's very difficult even with flawless sort of uh, you know uh, approach in terms of your coaching in terms of the way you t set your team up and in terms of doing good business you still find it incredibly difficult to bridge that gap between Liverpool and the Man Cities and the Chelsea's and the Man United's or at least sustain that level. Mm. Liverpool will have won the title probably once in Jurgen Klopp's entire reign. And that's not a, a knock on Liverpool. It's not a criticism of, of Liverpool, but it just indicates how hard it is to do what some Arsenal fans are expecting Arsenal to do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a real... For me, you look at the situation and you, you've got to be realistic about it. And I, I know I always say that and people don't want to hear it because they want to, you know, they want to believe still that Arsenal are this elite team. We're an elite club in terms of our size, but we're not an elite football team anymore. And that's the reality. I think for me, you know, when you say that you need to kind of, you need to give something to the fans, I think I completely agree. And, and just to go back to that Liverpool example, 
Jurgen Klopp gave them some results, didn't he? Away from home against some of the big sides, even right at the beginning of his tenure where his football was so good, so entertaining and really shell-shocked their opponents. And fans looked at that and went, yeah, we're a little bit inconsistent still. You know, we're conceding silly goals here and there. I can see the blueprint, at least, for what it is that we're trying to achieve. And Mikel Arteta has failed to do that up till now. And that's why people are getting restless. That's why people are getting frustrated. And I understand it. But where do we go from here? You know, you sack him, who'd you bring in? And then if you do bring somebody else in, are you saying as a football club that you've given up on Project Youth and you're moving in another direction? If that is the case... That says to me that the club got it horribly wrong in the first place. And then it makes me question even more the competence of those people running this football club. Because to give to, to sit down and say, we are going to embark on Project Youth and then only give it two years is also not right. So it's it's just a complete and utter mess. Um, another yeah. player, though, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, Mike, and, and you did touch on him, was, was Thomas Partey. I'm a little bit worried about Thomas Partey, and, and I agree with you. A lot of it is to do with the way he's being deployed. I think we're asking him to do too much. We're asking him essentially without Granit Xhaka to hold an entire midfield by himself. And that's not what Thomas Partey is. When he played alongside Xhaka against Tottenham, he was fantastic. I think he's always looked at his best when alongside Xhaka because of that positional discipline and because it gives him the platform to be a little bit more... Um, you know, free-flowing in terms of what he does when he goes forward, when he pulls left, when he pulls right. But I'm sitting there looking at Thomas Partey week in, week out, and I'm thinking, yes, there are issues with the tactics and issues that are out of your control that are affecting your performance. But equally, you are giving the ball away in silly areas. You are playing sloppy passes. And I'm not even just talking about the one against Crystal Palace. There was four or five occasions in that game where I looked at Thomas Partey and, and just watched him make a really silly pass and thought to myself, what are you doing? You know, and, and if our elite high level experienced players are doing that, mm. then how can we then sit and turn around and have a go at some of the kids? For me, that's the big problem at Arsenal is that the, the experienced bunch have not done enough to complement those around them. The owner should be on them, not on Smith Rowe, not on Saka, not on, you know, whoever else you want to put into the mix. So I am worried about Thomas Partey, yet every time I say it, Mike, I get pelters from every direction. How can you blame Thomas Partey? But I've, I've got a point, surely. Yeah, oh, it's because fans don't want to believe it. I think they, they saw Partey as the Vieira replacement. I think they fans waited a long time for us to sign that profile of box-to-box midfielder that was strong, that was technically excellent, um, pacey, you know, uh, could, could put in a tackle, but could, well used to be able to shoot as well. <laughs> I had to stop myself there. I was talking about Atletico, Thomas Party, not this one who takes about a thousand shots and hasn't scored yet. But yeah, I think that's what fans were expecting from him. And I think if you looked at him at Atletico, you would have seen that player. Um, but for one reason or another, it's not happened. And it's, you know, two, is he third, se- third season now? Or yeah? Mm, yes. Yeah. Third yeah. season now. Is it? And. I, th- I think no, so. no, 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 no. Last season was his first season, and he was injured for all of it. Was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, second. no. So second season now. Um, edit live. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, second season now, and um, we're not really seeing it yet. And I think injuries have played a part, but right now is when we need him to step up. 
I just think I, I, I do feel a bit sorry for him because he is being asked to do everything because you want him, he's the experienced man. You want him to be the holding midfielder, but then you want him to be the box to box midfielder. And then you want him to link the play. And he also thinks he's got to try and score because he's taken so many shots. So it's like the guy must be thinking, I'm doing about 300 jobs here. And when you've got someone next to him, whether it's Lukonga, inexperienced, whether it's Odegaard, Smith Rowe, he's almost like a bit hamstrung about what he can do. I just, and I agree with you, I wish we could just say to him, you know, sit someone behind him, whether it's Shaka, whether it's another player we bring in eventually, and let him go, let him, you know, roam, let him do his box-to-box thing. And I feel like that's when we'd see the real Thomas Party. But unfortunately, that's not the reality at the moment. So I think really what he needs to do is just simplify his game a little bit. Um, let him get it to the forward players without losing the ball, without doing too much. Still, you know, giving the ability to, to do the great things that he does when he sort of like dribbles past players a little bit and uh, can make space and, you know, the little tight turns that, that, he's, that he's really good at. Allow him the ability to do that, but limit it and say, look, Thomas, just keep it simple. We've got a lot of players out. We need you to be responsible. And basically, we can't have you doing what, what you did uh, against Crystal Palace because that, as you said, cost us... Um, cost us a win essentially at that at that stage so yeah it's it's disappointing i have to admit i was expecting him to be like a sort of big huge marquee midfielder for us and it's not happened so i do understand fans frustrations completely yeah for sure we're, we're gonna round off the show by taking a few of your questions from the live chat i can see there's loads of you disagreeing with us i can see there's a few of you agreeing with us uh just while you're filling up the chat box with your questions make sure you put a little cue at the beginning, it makes it much easier for me to pick them out from the chat. Uh, just a quick reminder that if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. If you're watching us via YouTube, it really, really does help. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you'd like to go one further and become a Chronicles of Aguna member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description or if you're watching on your PC by clicking the join button. Um, get those questions in. Let's hear uh, what you guys have to say. Mike, just briefly while we wait for a couple of questions to come in via the chat. Are you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Arsenal go out on Friday night against Aston Villa and put what happened on Monday right? Not confident at all, mate. (laughs) The Um, fact that you had to think for so long. Yeah, I I sighed. Uh, I thought about it. I I was thinking, you know, it's an Arsenal podcast. I want to try and be positive. But percentage-wise, about 50-50. I feel like you never really know what you're going to sort of get with this Arsenal team in terms of... I know know what what sort of, like, plan they're going to... It's just whether how well they implement whatever plan, how much they press, how much they want it, um, whether they can perform after the first 15 minutes of a game, which has been a problem. So, yeah, not, not overly confident. I think it will be one of them games that's decided on a tight margin as well. But I think Aston Villa have struggled without Jack Grealish this season. Um, the new players haven't really settled in as well as uh, people were expecting. Likes of Buendia, Leon Bailey, not quite hitting height. So I think that there is a good chance for us. But playing against two defend two strikers in Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins, who are both busy, um, good players, I think it's going to be tough. So we've got to get it right. Um, and... I don't know. Maybe he might he might mess around with the with the system a little bit and bring back the dreaded El Nenny party partnership in midfield. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm thinking? I'm sitting here thinking that it's it's a game made for Emi Buendia to uh, 
to pop up and win it. And then we'll get that narrative, won't we, coming through that Arsenal should have signed Buendia. Oh. What will we doing? You, you just know that's going to happen. You can see it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Right, let's take a few of these questions because there's some really good ones in the chat. Um, I'm going to throw some of these to you, Mike. Uh, just a quick one. Uh, John Daly says, do you think Aubameyang is better up front at home because of the good support? Maybe Lacquer is better away because we are way more into playing more aggressively. Do you think, I guess the question here is, Mike, do you think there's any correlation between Aubameyang's performances and, and the fact that we're playing at home? You know what? I wouldn't usually, I wouldn't usually agree. But the fact that he gets so up for like North London derbies and games like that, where he knows like the the fans are going to be up for it, I feel like there could be something to do with it. Um, I think he's won him. He would have won himself a lot of favour in that North London derby and um, in the game against Palace because that's what fans want to see at the end of the day. Like he's scoring, but not only is he scoring at the moment, but he's also putting in everything. And as long as you do that, I mean, you can't really complain. So, yeah, maybe there is something in it. Possibly. Uh, Zed Blogger says, uh, Mike, should we get Ox back to improve the midfield and give the team more options? Mine's no. a big fat no. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. I, I think going backwards is always a risky thing. He's not played enough at Liverpool um, to the point where he's developed as a, as a player. I think he's probably just a bit better than he was when he left us. I still don't know what his best position is. Um, and it will be like an emotional signing and maybe something to help him out and get him a bit more game time. And yeah, you don't really like, I think people are talking about it because of uh, the Africa Cup of Nations when we're going to lose players and you don't really sign players for a month and then don't really promise them where they're going to be in the long term. So no, I don't really think it's a, it's a great deal. Great deal. Uh, me too. Uh, let's take this one from Bonstay says, why were our fullbacks so defensive and why do we not play the risky forward passes? when the opportunity presents itself. I'll take this one just quickly because I did highlight one of the issues off the back of that Crystal Palace match was I didn't feel like Tommy Asu gave us much going forward. And I, I kind of accept that that is Tommy Asu. You know, he is a centre-back slash right-back rather than a right-back slash right-wing-back. I do think that's important. And I think the reason he was signed was because of that, because he fits into the team. There has been an over-reliance on Kieran Tini to get forward. And for whatever reason, and I, I can't put my finger on why, he did seem a lot more reluctant to try and beat his man and get to the byline and make things happen on Monday night than he usually does. So I, I do agree with you that there was an issue there. I'm not sure what the reason was, though. I'm not sure if it was um, tiredness. I'm not sure if it was a lack of confidence. I, I, I really don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Uh, perhaps that's one for Mikel Arteta. Uh, Jid F32 says, why are we being alarmist? We are four from the top four, four points, that is, after losing the first three matches. I get the performances haven't been great, but as long as we're still in arm's reach, why are we collectively moaning? Yeah, you are right, Jid. I do think we've gone a little bit heavy on the negative stuff off the back of a draw. A draw that, you know, from a game that we should never have got anything from. So, if there is a silver lining, I guess that's it. Mike, do you feel like we're being a little bit alarmist? I mean, potentially, but I think because we're seeing the the pattern of play, Harry, at the moment, and we've seen it for a long time under Arteta, where we struggle to create chances and we are, you know, we are we can easily throw a game away with individual errors. I think it's the same pattern. So I don't think... I don't think we're looking too much into it. No, I think it's uh, it's an ongoing problem. And unless we sort of start to change and 
and on we can unlock these sorts of teams i think the same problems will persist so it's not like we're looking at it and saying all right well we've drawn a few games against brighton and palace and that's it i think we because we know these sort of performances have happened and will happen yeah good stuff uh there's a couple of questions uh, kind of very similar so um I'll put this one to you, Mike. Where are you on on Mikel Arteta? Because the the chat are desperate to know. Uh, Miss Shane says, "Are we both uh, Arteta inners?" So um, go on. It's so it's so like binary, isn't it? You're Arteta in, you're Arteta out. There's no there's no way you can be in the middle. And if you are, like, you're the worst person in the world. I think I'm I'm somewhere in the middle, but I think in the back of my head there is that sort of feeling that it's not going to work out for him i just feel like i'm not see- i've not seen enough from from him from our teams to be able to suggest that he is the man to lead us going forward i think he is doing a decent job at sort of overseeing the rebuild where there's a lot of young players that that need to be brought through there was a lot of players that had to be get rid of and i feel like they needed an inexperienced manager to sort of see that through because i can't see someone like Antonio Conte, Max Allegri, you know, whoever it is, Carlo Ancelotti was mentioned before Arteta came in. I couldn't see them sort of managers doing that sort of job and willing to stay there for two or three years while there was probably not going to be a huge, you know, ambition for, for, for the top four. I think that's coming, but I just don't think that Arteta will be able to get where the club wanted him to before before they, they want him to do it, essentially. I just don't think the target will, will be reached and that will come to an end eventually, unfortunately. So that's where I'm at. I don't need to scream Arteta out. I, I'm not, you know, going to defend him blindly like some people do. So that's what I mean. I'm not going to say Arteta and Arteta out. I've just, I just, you know, th- those are my reasons, essentially. Good stuff. Uh, let's take one more before we wrap up. Um uh, rank dave says uh how can arsenal get out of this <laughs> big <laughs> that's, question that's the golden question. question mate that's 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 kind of the, the million the dollar question. question exactly i mean for me i think there needs to be some uh, in some way somehow sound like i'm about to burst into song there uh Mikel arteta <laughs> needs to find a way of getting more consistency out of this group of players and I don't know how he does that necessarily because of all the factors that we've discussed, not just during this show, but through shows, you know, over the last few months. You rely on youngsters. This is an issue. Consistency is a problem. I don't care what anybody says throughout history that is proven. And only the very, very elite are performing at the highest level from a very young age, totally consistently. We're not talking about generational talents here. You know, we're talking about good talents in Saka, in Emil Smith-Rowe, in Ben White, in Ramsdale. But we're not talking about, you know, Ronaldo's and Messi's and, and Diego Maradona's to, to say that, the, or Wayne Rooney's, you know, people that burst onto the scene 16, 17 years old and never look back. So I think the consistency thing is the big issue for me. And I wonder if there is a an issue at Arsenal where Mikel Arteta's constant changing of the system, and I do think he's done that a lot, and I think some of it's been enforced because we've not had players available, but you think back to the start of the season against Brentford, we played a 4-2-3-1. Then against Manchester City a couple of weeks later, we changed it up to a back three, 
And then we've played with a 4-3-3. Then we've played with a 4-2-3-1. Sometimes we've played a 4-1-4-1 with Partey being the, the sole player holding. I think there's been too much chopping and changing. And on the one hand, I get it because you need to do what you feel is best for that game. And I spoke yesterday about maybe the need for Arsenal to maybe go back to the drawing board a little bit and accept that we're not good enough to impose our style on everybody. And there are going to be weeks when we have to change it. But in doing that, that constant change, I think, especially when you're talking about a young group of players, is having a negative impact. I think it's becoming more and more difficult for these players to get into the right habits when those desired habits change from week to week. So I think there are there are issues around consistency, and I think a lot of it is probably to do with that. Would you agree, Michael, or do you see it differently? Yeah, I, I probably would agree. And I, I think even though we did... Uh, get rid of a whole load of players. I still think there's there's a lot more manoeuvring to be done until we can, you know, turn out a team every week, a consistent eleven, like you say, that is functional and um, will perform consistently. Because I I think as as much as it is from the manager, I think as I said earlier, like the mentality thing where we can put the put our plan in place for 15 minutes and then we completely drop off when, when players pressurize. I think that is a mentality thing. And I think a lot, lot of that comes with, uh, with personnel um, and a mix of personnel and coaching. So I'm, I'm getting to the point um, where I am thinking Nicholas Pepe, is it going to work for him? I don't think it is. So players like that, Lacazette is probably going to go. I think there is still a big turnover of, of players to come, but, in in terms of what we can do, I think just just let them go a little bit. I think if you're going to have younger players, let them be expressive. You know, play Martinelli more. Like I, I think he's he's going to be inconsistent, but I feel like he's a player that it just makes things happen. And we we saw it against Palace. I think he came on. He was a bit in. He was a bit you know erratic, but he put a good ball in, um, and he sort of took on his man. And we ju- it just lifted the energy a little bit. And I think that's what we're lacking a bit of energy. Uh, there's too much rigidity in the team. Let them be free. And I feel like that's a way that Arteta can sort of, you know, win back a bit of favour in the fans if we're playing a bit more, a bit better football, essentially. Yeah, don't disagree with any of that. Right, we are going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Don't forget to hit that like button if you haven't done so already. Uh, we should at least get up to around about 75 likes, given the number of you watching by the time the outro finishes. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you'd like to go one further by becoming a member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. If you are listening via any of the various audio platforms, please do leave us a review. That also helps. And uh, Mike, just before we go, let people know how they can keep up with the great work that you do. Yeah, so um, at Mike underscore Stavru on Twitter as well. I've got a link on there to my uh, my profile uh, for the Metro and I, I sort of do a lot of articles to them, a lot of Arsenal-related stuff, so check it. Make sure you do check those out. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal and football-related content. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.